Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the text that was displayed on the wall as you walked in to church today, this afternoon, it's Job 33, verse 4. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. And on one level, we know that this text is talking about the fact that it was God's will that we should be born and are now living creatures. However, as we continue to read through scriptures, we quickly realize that being alive and having life is more than just having a heartbeat. When Adam and Eve were cursed with death for sinning against God, they continued to breathe, their hearts continued to beat, but they lost their relationship of peace with the triune God. And we see then that to be dead is, is ultimately to be apart from God. In the same way that to be alive is to know fully even as we have been fully known, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. That is why Jesus Christ defines eternal life, John 17, verse 3. He says, it is knowing the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Underlying that sixth commandment is the fact that God created us to live with him and our neighbor in a relationship of love forever. The giver of life is the giver of love. You have been given life so that you might love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And then we think of 1 John 3, verse 14. He who does not love is dead. The person then who loves is truly alive. And I preach to you this gospel, the sixth commandment and the sixth commandment that, that we, the Lord reveals that the breath of the Almighty gives us love. We'll see that the Lord wants his children to love their neighbor as, their, uh, as themselves, that Jesus Christ loved his neighbor as himself for us and in our place. In the third place, the Holy Spirit guides us to love our neighbor as ourselves. Way at the beginning of Scripture when God revealed creation, why he made us the way he did, we read in Genesis 2, verse 7, that the Lord, then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And people did not evolve from cells or animals or any pre-Adamite type figure, but God was directly involved in the formation of body, soul, and mind. God breathed into people, and that breath of life was like the light of man that animates us, that makes us capable of, of movement, of feeling emotions, and of understanding the world around us. Adam and Eve were then commanded by God to add to their number by having children who would begin growing in the womb and who would continue to live without dying. God wanted us to live with him for a very long time. And although it's almost unfathomable to us to live more than 120 years, we, we see that shortly after the fall, closer to creation, in Genesis 5, that even after the fall, Adam still lived to be 930 years, 
And the generation that followed Adam and Eve lived between 777 and 969 years. Psalm 36 that we sang, especially verses uh, 5 and 9 in, in the scriptures, they say it beautifully. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. And since all living beings in their vast array testify to the creativity, the color, the power, and the lordship of our creator God, how much more the humans that could rule over the animals, that could go out and explore, that could develop creation. All human beings reflect the glory of the triune God in a very special way in all the earth. And so the life of every one of them is precious in his sight. There is a special connection between a living being, a living creature, and the Lord. For he made them, male and female, to reflect his glory. To be alive is to be able to praise God. Your life and the life of your neighbor they are gifts from God, given so that we together might praise him eternally. The scriptures reveal that God wants all his creatures to weave together all their different gifts and their talents into one whole tapestry of praise. He made us to live in a relationship of harmony with one another. And it is in the joining of our lives like musical instruments in an orchestra that the mighty triune creator receives the, the highest praise from the creatures, the, the living creatures he created. And how can the orchestra be complete if the saxophone section is fighting against the flute section? What is life on earth if it is not seeking to glorify God by joyfully joining your minds your bodies and your hearts to the lives of those around you in harmony. As we confess so clearly in the Catechism, the Lord wants us, it's in answer 107, to love our neighbor as ourselves, to show patience, peace, gentleness, mercy, and friendliness toward him. This is the context in which we find the sixth commandment, this beautiful revelation of God as the fountain of life. He says in that context, you shall not murder. And, and the list of, and he gives a, a list of punishments for harming your neighbor. You can read about that also in the Old Testament. God shows how much he values human life when he commands, for example, that murder should be punished with death. And he commands that everything short of murder be punished in equal degrees to the damage that was caused. Eye for eye, burn for burn, foot for foot, that, that list that you read in Leviticus 24, verse 19, and Exodus 21. It's, it's a command that urges us to think about what it's like for the other person when we do things that harm him. He even commands us not to harm animals. 
It shows there that it's the heart that he's looking at. God does not even want you to speak unkindly to your neighbor. Not even think unkind things or, or harbor hatred in your heart or grudges. Anything that stands between you and your neighbor is an attack on life. When the father of lies, who was a murderer from the beginning, we read in John 8, when, when, when the, the devil attacked God and his children, it turned man's beautiful music into a rebellious cacophony, that's a bad sound, of blood and tears and fear. And then the Lord made his will clear once again. He, he said it even more clearly. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor's life as your own. Rather than being selfish and arrogant and envious and disinterested in the well-being of our neighbor, the Lord wants us, as we confess, to protect him from harm as much as we could and to do good even to our enemies. And there's a very clear example of that in the Old Testament when the Lord gives commands, laws about having uh, cities of refuge. Those cities were, were established for people who had unintentionally killed their neighbor due to, to negligence. And so the Lord shows us that we must be so thoughtful about the lives of, of others that we must also be careful not to be negligent. We, we need to be conscientious of, of those around us. That's what he wants us to do. And so we can think today that means uh, following a safety, work safety and, and safe environment policies carefully. Putting fences around our pools. Driving carefully on the roads. That, that's the the, the spirit of that command of cities of the refuge, of, of refuge. The Lord, on the positive side, is calling us to, to think about the other person. So children, when, when, when the plate of cookies is, is offered to you, you, you don't think, I want the best cookie for myself. You think, uh, what does that other person want? What, what would be best for them? And you leave that cookie on the, on the plate for the other person person. And then maybe when you grow up, you won't text and drive because you'll be conscientious of the lives of, of others. You see, God really wants you to experience the blessing of life forevermore, that, that joy of love in a kingdom of peace. That's why in the Old Testament there's so many prophecies of, of the, the glory of heaven. It describes it as a place of peace where they will neither harm or destroy on all my holy mountain. That's why this morning when we looked at, at the prophecy of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the passage that spoke about Judah, it, it presents the Lord Jesus Christ as, as a kingdom where there will be peace. He wants you to know that you can look forward to eternal life in Jesus Christ, to living eternally to the person beside you, right, a fellow, fellow believer, eternity together. We want to look forward to that. He wants you to look forward to that, not worrying that those people will harm you. He wants you to be the friend that you would like to have at your side forever. To be resolved, says Paul in Romans 12, to live 
at peace with everyone as far as it depends on you. And so he wants us to live with that perspective that this life, there's a present life and there's a life to come. That's what pe that, uh, we read about in 1 Timothy 4, verse 18. God wants what is best for you. So he gave us the, the sixth commandment. But he knows also that after the fall, we are by nature inclined to hate God and our neighbor. And since he wants the best for us, he wants us to have life eternal, he, he sent his son to obey the sixth commandment for us and in our place. The Son of God was not too holy or too honorable to take on a human nature. It's in the, the, the creeds uh, that we, we have, the Nicene Creed and the Athanasian Creed and the Apostles' Creed. It's a, it's a statement of our faith. He came down from heaven. He was made incarnate. That means he took on human flesh by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made perfect man composed of a human soul and human flesh. In this way, he affirmed the goodness of the human nature that God had already formed in creation. And when we confess the sin of despising our own bodies and souls, when we repent of telling ourselves that we are worthless, when we fight against the temptation to harm and endanger our bodies and our minds through a life of excessive stress and careless living, well, then we can turn to Christ Jesus, who perfectly obeyed the sixth commandment. He did not create, he did not treat God's creation as worthless junk. But he took on our human nature upon himself. He showed the, the full majesty, glory of God's handiwork so that he might lead us to abundant life in God. The Lord Almighty gave Jesus Christ life and our Savior used that life to live in love. In fact, he revealed to us that if we do not, that if we that we do not have life if we do not love. And that's where we can turn to that passage we read in, in Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8 where he speaks of losing your life here on earth and still being alive. To, to reflect on that perspective of our Lord Jesus Christ about life. He reveals that love is more important than our life on earth for he called us to love God more than anything else in this world to follow the Lord even if it cost us our own comfort to, to have that eternal perspective also in our love Jesus Christ lived to love and so in obedience to the sixth commandment he gave his life to save sinners. 
And he shows us in this, he teaches us in this what, what obedience is. He shows us that, that giving your temporal life as a sacrifice of love to promote the kingdom of God, that reflects obedience to the sixth commandment. And you have to think about that a little bit. You, you compare the two. What's the difference between you shall not murder or recklessly or harm or endanger yourself and the Lord Jesus saying, give your life for the sake of others. What's the difference? Well, you can see it, can't you? The sixth commandment forbids killing in any context of hatred and envy and selfish disinterest in the lives of others. But the Lord Jesus reveals that our life is given to serve others in fearless love and trust in the will of God and the hope of eternal life. And, and isn't that what his life was all about? He fulfilled the sixth commandment perfectly for us and in our place. And when we confess our lack of faith, for dividing up our present life from the life to come when we're so focused on making sure everything is right for me now and forgetting of eternal life. When we confess the weakness of allowing the fear of others to hinder our love toward them. When we repent of the sin of choosing to love family, friends, or ourselves more than God who gave us life in order that we might love Him. Well then, brothers and sisters, we can turn to Jesus Christ. We can see a Savior who obeyed that commandment perfectly for us and in our place. He is our righteousness. He dedicated his body and his soul to God's plan, to the gospel, to, to God's children. He gave his life as a sacrifice so that through his death, says Hebrews 2 verse 14, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Our Lord Jesus dedicated his life to loving, to hearing, to, to warning and exhorting, to healing, to encouraging and to praying for all God's creation. And when we repent of the sin of failing to show love because we are actually envious or angry or full of hatred and holding on to grudges, when we repent, we can turn to Jesus Christ and we can see perfect obedience to the sixth commandment. And the gospel message for us today is that Jesus Christ did show interest in the lives of those around him. He listened to their questions. He gave his time, he gave his attention to others. He raised the dead. He restored them to their families. He, he didn't allow someone to continue to walk in disobedience and, and anger and, and, and leave the, the, the glory of the kingdom, but he, he, he warned them. He, he said, stop that. He may not have been liked for that. He may not have been considered the nice guy all the time, but he showed true, perfect love for his brother. And all his acts of love are themselves an act of love. 
because they show him stepping in for us, doing what we are so unable to do. He steps in for us so that we will never be punished for our sins against the sixth commandment. He not only obeyed the sixth commandment, but he also bore God's wrath against our sins for us and in our place. Although God's enemies, says our Lord Jesus, they come in to, to steal and to kill and to destroy, Jesus tells us that he came that his sheep may have life and have it abundantly. Have it abundantly. There is abundant life in Jesus Christ. Abundant love in Jesus Christ. And through the Spirit who dwells in our hearts, he, he lifts us out of that life of rebellion and fighting and selfishness. He takes us beyond a Christian life that's just surviving, sometimes maybe in the words of today, tolerating one another. That's, that's not true and full love. But he carries us to abundant life, to, to thriving, in which we're not just standing still and trying to survive, but we're, we're moving outward to desire to truly and actively show love toward our neighbor. The Holy Spirit guides us to love our neighbor as ourselves. Now you can turn your Bibles and go back to 1 John 3. 1 John 3, also chapter 4. Maybe you can read that at home. Uh, speaks more of that love. But looking at 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, the statement is very clear. Since Christ loved us, we ought to love one another. We read, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. It's saying the Spirit will lead you to lay down your life for your brothers. Our Lord Jesus' work for us and in our place doesn't only change our situation before the Lord so that he sees us as holy in Christ, but it also changes our very identity, who we are. It changes our hearts. He changes our desires. He changes our relationships to others. That's the, the main point of 1 John 3. The Holy Spirit says it emphatically in 1 John 3, verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. If you compare that to, to John 5, verse 24, the Lord Jesus says, whoever believes in me has crossed from death into life. Now he says, you know that because of your love. Because of your love. When the Holy Spirit leads us, we are willing to lay down our lives for the brothers, not just loving in word or talk, that's verse 18, but in deed and in truth. This is the commandment that the Spirit leads us in. We read in verse 23 that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He has commanded us. You see, the Holy Spirit constantly points us and our hearts and our minds to the love of Christ and our new identity in Him. So we wake up every morning going, look at the love of Christ. Look at who I am. And then he's, Colossians 3 verse uh, 3 says, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
your life. Yes, that life that God breathed into you, that life that God redeemed through the death of his only son. Yes, your life, my life, is hidden with Christ in God. And do you see how the Holy Spirit calls us to love our lives with as much love as God has shown? Do, do you see the value of your own life in God's eyes? Yes, the value of the lives of all those who are around you? You, my brother, you, my sister, you have crossed over from death to life. Your life is hidden with Christ in God, and when you are there, you will be able to live eternally with your loving Father in heaven. That's the joy of forgiveness. It's the amazing in grace. God has a reason. He had a reason to give you life. And the Holy Spirit now leads you in the sixth commandment in, in how to show your thankfulness for that physical life that God has given you. The Holy Spirit helps you to see that uh, even before you are forced to see and be thankful for your physical life by an illness or an injury. You see, to be carefree in this life does not mean to be careless or negligent with our bodies, our souls, or our minds. And so the Holy Spirit, as he's showing us what it means to have life in Christ, he, he makes us evaluate carefully how we are using our bodies, how we are using our time, what we are eating, what we are drinking, what we are inhaling. He helps us desire to continue to have bodies that are useful in God's kingdom, useful for love. And with that perspective, we also come to learn that God has given us together as his living creatures all over the world, how many billions is it? Seven, I think. He has given us many, many different forms. And besides the odd doppelganger, he, he did not make any two of us alike. Some of us have special needs. Some of us have illnesses or injuries. Some of us are scarred, some of us very deeply in our minds or our emotions. Some of us are recovering. Some of us are still in the womb. Some of us are nearing the end of the journey. Some of us are small, and, and some of us, and particularly in our congregation here today, are, are very, very tall. And perhaps God did that so that we could clearly see that we are all parts of one body, and that everyone and every gift and every life is necessary so that we can fully praise God in heaven to truly love God and truly love our neighbor as ourselves. And the Holy Spirit leads us to see that a daily prayer of thankfulness for our physical life and a request that we might use our strength our gifts, whatever our situation is, whoever we may be, to use that to show love to God and to our neighbor. That is a prayer that shows your desire to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit helps us to recognize that God made us the way we are with a purpose, it also helps us to be humble 
and to be realistic about ourselves and our own limitations and others and their limitations. You see, we were never made, and we were never made or created or meant to, to do it all alone. From the perspective of God's eternal plan, we are then able to interact with one another in a healthy way. The fall into sin has consequences in our own lives as it does in the lives of others around us as we wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just as you know that, that others are not perfect, so they know that you are not perfect. And when others then point out our faults or, or put us down, we, we can recognize that in many cases they are correct. And even if they are not correct, the problem of our sinful nature is probably even worse than they thought. But, you see, our value does not lie in what we've made with our life, but in the fact that we have life, that we have today, that we have this hour, this minute, and that the Lord has renewed this life and has restored us to the promise of eternal life in Jesus Christ. He has given us the desire to love now. We're not together in this church building because of anything good that we have done. Don't fool yourself. But we're here together in spite of all that we have done wrong. And the Lord has given us this life to now love one another, to support each other. Because we are alive by the grace of God. And in Christ, every one of us, and we first hear that ourselves, don't we? But then look to the person beside you too because your neighbor too has abundant life in Jesus Christ. Helps you to see others around you in a good way. And the Holy Spirit leads us to be thankful for every day we have for the spiritual life that God has given us, a life that will last much longer than the tears and the hardships of our time here on earth. He is with us in the present life. He is with us in the life to come. We have been made alive to serve God and our neighbor. And whenever we are faced with confrontation and hate and envy or anger rises in our hearts, the eternal perspective makes us ask, that eternal perspective that the Holy Spirit puts there, makes us ask, how important is this fight to me? Will it save the life of another? Will it serve the life of another? So we seek peace and reconciliation, even if it means losing something temporary in this life. And sometimes, yes, we need to confront one another for the well-being of the other person. But we do so remembering we have eternal life in Jesus Christ. Born, conceived in the womb, life begins, and it continues, and it continues. God first loved us, and now Beloved, let us love God and love our neighbor as ourselves. Amen.